Welcome to the Natural Running Network. We are brought to you by Mio, makers of the world's first strapless heart rate monitor sports watches, and MedHab, makers of RPM Squared, an innovative system of gait analysis that slips right into your running shoes. My name is Richard Diaz. I am your host. Are you a runner? Do you love to get out and challenge yourself? Running your first marathon or maybe caught the bug of obstacle racing? Well, sit tight because this is a show you just don't want to miss. I am here with Travis Macy. And Travis Macy is the author of a new book that's been released called The Ultra Mindset. Aside from being an author, Travis is also a world-renowned adventure racer. Quite an amazing guy. Lots to talk about. And Travis, say hello to our audience, please. Hi, everyone. Uh, Richard, it's great to be here uh, with you and with the audience uh, once again. And thank you for having me. Well, it's a pleasure, Travis. And incidentally, you know, we're not going to get away from, you know, the uh, the commentary about uh, the chance that we had to meet and the fact that you threw down as a sprint racer in your, I don't know if it was your first, but certainly you uh, you you turned in a really good finish time in that uh, Spartan race that you did out there in the Bahamas with us. Oh, thanks. Yeah, it, um, that was awesome. Um, I uh, I had an awesome experience in that, and um, you know, it was uh, sort of a it was unexpected for me. You know, I I, um, I I had an ultra running race the week after it, and I'd, I'd never done an obstacle race before. Um, I've been interested in them for a number of years. You know, I, I've, I've been an adventure racer for a number of years, so I really like the idea of kind of doing, you know, interesting, uh, unexpected sort of challenges. And in the last uh, couple of years, I've been focusing on ultra running, so I've been doing a lot of running, but I, you know, definitely didn't do any, any obstacle-specific training or anything like that other than just a combination of, of running and, you know, general um, upper body strength work to, to support the running. Uh, so, you know, as, as, uh, you may have mentioned before, we got out there in the Bahamas with, uh, with the Spartan race crew and kind of the, just the infectious energy of, of the environment, um, couldn't be ignored, you know, and I'm standing there an hour before the race and still wasn't planning on doing it. I just thought to myself, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm an athlete, and, and if there's a race, I, I should be doing it. You know, you, you can't worry about getting hurt or things like that. Pretty soon you're not going to be doing anything at all. Um, so I, I hopped in the race, and I had a blast. I mean, it was it was a lot of fun, and, and I got to, you know, kind of have some fun leapfrogging with, with the guys I was racing around. I was able to run a little bit faster than some of them, but, but they were, you know, much more skilled in the obstacles than me, and, and in most cases, a little bit bigger and stronger. So um, some of those obstacles were, were real challenges, you know. And I, um, you know, I, I crossed that finish line, and I had a real sense of, of accomplishment. And um, I was wearing that Spartan medal around, you know, all day long, which I, I never <laughs> do. You know, I'll, I'll finish it, you know, I'll finish this 100K, 100-mile ultra run, you know, and I get the medal, and usually I'll, I'll give it to, you know, my son, if he's there, or I'll give it to some other little kid, or, you know, it's kind of whatever. I mean, I got that Spartan medal. I'm like... Man, I'm keeping this thing on. This is, uh, <laughs> this, is this is pretty cool. So um, I had a lot of fun. I actually I've, I've signed up for another um, Spartan race. There's one in uh, in Breckenridge, Colorado, um, yep. in June, 
and I'm pretty excited for it because it's uh, it's up at altitude, which which should be good for me, and it, it also has uh, more running. It's it's the so-called beast distance. So right. I mean, it's like 12 to 14 miles and, and 30 obstacles. So you know, having more obstacles will be challenging for me. But I, I'm, I'm I'm training for it. I'm doing my burpees. You know, kind of doing a little bit more upper body stuff, and uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, well, the the, uh, the thing that uh, is the common thread among you ultra guys is that when you start hearing that the events get longer and you have a chance to participate at altitude, it gets more appealing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it, it does, you know, because that's, you know, that's kind of a, you know, for someone like me, I've, you know, I've lived in Evergreen, Colorado at, at 8,000 feet, you know, pretty much my entire life. And, uh, you know, so a, a short, fast thing at, at sea level isn't exactly my cup of tea but if it's if it's longer and in the hills then i definitely feel a little more at home so i want to i want to uh, start by uh giving a little bit of backstory if i could mm-hmm. and, and i'm taking this right from your book because you know I, i'm just not that sharp i need footnotes to be able to do this right so oh, but yeah, it, no <laughs> so the, you know it's suggested that you're best known as the guy who won the lead man for those that are not familiar with lead man uh it's a six-week grand prix ultra that begins with a 26.2-mile trail marathon, which is followed by a 50-mile bike uh, mountain bike race. And that's all done within seven days. And then a 100-mile mountain bike race followed by a 10K foot race the next day, incidentally. And then that's followed by the famed Leadville 100 Ultra Marathon, which is conducted at altitudes between 10,000 and change to 13,000 and change. And then what happens, I guess, is that the winner is the person that has the fastest combined times, and that happened to be you in 2013 with a scorching time of 36 hours and 20 minutes. Did I get that right? um, Yeah, yeah, in a nutshell, yeah. I mean, one small detail there, I think at the beginning of the series, you do the, the trail running marathon, and then I think the... 50-mile mountain bike uh, may have been two weeks after. Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, that's small detail. It's still pretty close after, you know, a marathon distance run. Um, and overall, it's it's definitely a lot to do in the course of, of six weeks, um, especially those final eight days uh, when you got the 100-mile mountain bike and then the 10K run and then the 100-mile run the week after. Um, I don't think, you know, the... The athletes I would coach, if, if they were wanted to have an ideal 100-mile running race, I would never advise them to race all out in a 100-mile mountain bike race at 10,000 feet the week before. Yeah, so but, uh, you know, kinda... I, I kind of pondered this, and <clears throat> excuse me, and what I what I kind of gathered from it is that first of all, when you think in terms of these events occurring over six weeks, you would think, well, geez, that's you know, that's a reasonable amount of time to recover from these events, but. See, that's almost like the poison pill because when you have a little bit of light between these events, then you go after these events uh, viciously, right? You're going to go after them hard, where if they were back to back to back, you're going to try to pace yourself so you can get through it all. I mean, at the back of your mind, you're probably thinking, got to get through it before I can concern myself with whether I'm going to win it. But if you think, okay, I'm taking baby bites, I'm going to run a, a marathon on the trail, get a little bit of a break. Then I'm going to do a 50-mile mountain bike uh, event. And then, you know, each of these little events, um, you're going to throw down really, really hard, which is going to take its toll over time. Is that 
relatively accurate? Yeah, I'd say so. And it, and it really, you know, like you said, it is, it is a balancing act throughout the whole thing. You know, kind of the, the first two events, the, the trail marathon and the 50-mile bike, um, I mean, I was, I was trying to win those races. I didn't win either one, but, you know, I, I thought in both of those that I had a decent chance of, of winning it outright. And I think I ended up second overall in the marathon, and um, I can't remember where I was in the bike, maybe somewhere around 10th or so. Um, it, it probably it says in the book. Uh, but those, you know, those, those were all out efforts and, um, you know, definitely racing hard. And my, my goal was to, to win the series, but I knew that, in order to do that, I'd have to gain gain a lead if I could, you know, early on, because it really comes down to, in the lead man, it comes down to the 100-mile run at the end, just because over the course of 100 miles, so much can happen to anyone. It, if, if you're in the lead going into the 100-mile run, it's easy to lose that if you fall apart or if you have a few bad hours out there. But if you're in second or third in the series going into it, you could easily still win if you have a consistent race and the other guys have some problems. So I really knew uh, early in the series that I wanted to to gain a lead if I could. And then the the balancing act is uh, being strong going into the 100-mile run at the end. So, you know, how do you, how do, you do a pretty fast time in the 100-mile mountain bike but not have it beat you up so much that you're not ready to go a week later? Right. So that was kind of the balancing act. And then, um, you know, I think uh, I know you talk a lot about the training side of things um, on your show. And that was an interesting piece of it as well, because you're right between those races. Uh, you need to recover as fast as you can, because I'm I'm a big proponent of recovery after races. I think you want to be nice and recovered before you start doing serious work again because if you start training too hard before you recover that's that's not going to help anything it's just going to make you more tired right. so you got to recover as quick as you can and then get in some good training chunks uh but then also be rested up for the race yeah. that's coming up soon so that's um you know it is it is an interesting balancing act and you know i did a did a lot of high altitude uh, training like i usually do you know there's a uh, a couple of 14ers, um, 14,000 foot peaks, uh, pretty near my house here in Evergreen, Grays and Tories peaks. Um, and those are, are just a quick drive and real good for running up and down. So I did a lot of those. And then I also did, uh, some extended sessions where I would, you know, let's say road bake, bike for a few hours, uh, up to like Mount Evans. Um, which is another 14er, um, really near my house here. And that one actually has a road all the way to the top. Um, so I could either ride to the top and then go for a run up there or maybe ride partway up and then do like a trail running loop and, and then ride back down um, or something like that. I, I think, uh, you know, any, any race that you do, uh, as much race specificity as you can get in before it is really helpful. So in this case, I was training for high altitude running and biking events so i tried to do a lot of high altitude running and biking wow 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 that's a lot of stuff so uh i i picked up a little snippet from your book that i really liked and i think this kind of sums it up when we're talking about you and I, uh, clearly that was what your intent was when you were trying to sum things up about who you are and you said this i'm assuming you said this is that imagine, <laughs> imagine a 30 to 50 mile stretch of road 
Then imagine lifting up the road and draping it over a mountain range. Now take this vision a step further and break the road into pieces with a sledgehammer into a rocky trail. And for good measure, throw in a snowstorm. Now you're in my world. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, uh, that, that's the stuff I like. I mean, you know, honestly, I, I, I haven't done a road running race since college, really, and I, I'm not sure if I, if I will again. And that's, you know, I think there's a lot of things to be said for running races and the battle against the clock and those kind of things, but it's, um, it's just not really my cup of, cup of tea. I, I like being outside. I like seeing new places. You know, a lot of my race selection is based on going new places, usually in the mountains, so that I can see a cool course and, and also just be an interesting new place, whether it's somewhere around the country or or around the world. So that's, uh, yeah, that's the kind of stuff I'm into, and, I, and I'm definitely not unique, you know. There's, there's plenty of people in the U.S. and around the world who, you know, I like this similar kind of racing, and, you know, I'm definitely not out to say that I'm the, the best in the world at, at any of this stuff. You know, there's plenty more people who, who are more accomplished and, you know, can go faster and, and those kind of things, but I've, um, I've, I've worked hard to, to set up a life where I can um, go out and, and do these things, and, and, and now a lot of it's about sharing it with, uh, with my kids, too. Well, first of all, uh, you know, there are people out in the world that do this, and there quite very well may be people that are doing it faster than you. But it's a small group, my friend. It's not like every, you know, there's nobody on my street that can say they've done anything that you've done. <laughs> there's certainly not anybody within about five or six blocks. And I could probably start extending my, my range without any problem. So, you know, it's a small community. I mean, it's it's a tough thing that you do. It's just you know, you're you're living in that world, so it becomes pretty commonplace for you. And and obviously enough, the people that you shoulder up with are, are doing the same thing you are. So, you know, it doesn't seem unique, but my friend, it is very unique, and it it is, uh, you know, I don't want to use the word odd, but it's it's uh, it's an oddity in life to be able to say that you know, oh well, yeah, I'm going to roll across a fourteen thousand foot elevation on my bike, then I'm going to get off and start running for a little bit. People don't do that. You do that. So, for whatever it's worth, I'm defending your championship. <laughs> oh, well, thanks. It, you know, one thing that that kind of reminds me of, one of the things I talk about uh, in, in the book, Chapter 2, is actually called Be a Wannabe. And my recommendation is is that, uh, you know, contrary to, to what, um, what peer social groups tell you in middle school, um, being a wannabe is actually a, a good thing, and I think there's a lot to be gained from, uh, you know, noticing what other people are doing to achieve success um, in things that you want to be successful at and, and then emulating them. Um, it kind of goes off of what psychologists would call goal contagion, where if you're around people who are striving towards and achieving similar goals, then almost kind of through osmosis sort of, you will be much more likely to achieve those goals. And uh, I think what you touched on there is, is an important point that, you know, really by sort of living or existing, if you will, in this community of other uh, endurance athletes who are out there day in and day out doing this stuff, you know, it just it feels pretty normal to me, <laughs> like you said, you know, my my friends do it, you know, the people I've raced around the world with do it, and in many ways, these are regular people. You know, last week I went 
uh, camping with, with my buddy Dave Mackey, who's one of the best sure. ultra runners in the country, you know, and, and he and I did adventure races together for years. And, um, you know, we kind of have that side to it, but we're also, we're just friends, you know, we're just friends like anyone else. And, and our kids are there and our families are there. And, you know, most of the day we're out just camping out in the desert like most people would, but we also go out and do some running. So I think, um, that's a good takeaway. You know, if, if you want to be successful at something, whether it's ultra running or triathlon or, or something else, you know, maybe you want to be a better parent. Maybe you want to, you know, be a more successful politician or Wall Street trader or whatever, you know, get around those people, follow what they're doing and learn from them. And I think there's, there's a lot to be said for that. Okay. So since we're on that and you, you, you already touched on number two, I guess it is. Um, what we're talking about essentially are these eight core principles for success in business, sport, and life is what you suggested. And you've kind of broken it down into these eight points. And I've kind of gone through and I've gleaned from some of them. And, you know, I, I, I think it's pretty interesting how you've kind of broken this down. So I don't, you know, I don't know how you want to approach it, but I, I don't think it's probably wise to just read the book to somebody here. So uh, let's uh, talk about a couple of them that I thought were pretty interesting. Okay. Okay. So number three, where you suggested find your carrot, what I thought was kind of interesting is how you kind of took and uh, looked at what are intrinsic versus extrinsic motivations. Can you kind of mm-hmm. touch on that and explain what that is and, and uh, what the differences are between those two? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, and, and I'll give just a little bit of background on the structure of the book for, for people who haven't seen it yet. You know, it's kind of... It's sort of like Born to Run meets Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. You know, it's a it's a combination of adventure narrative plus self self help. So each of these chapters or mindsets, as you said, um, includes four components. The first one is a is a story from endurance racing. It could be ultra running, adventure racing, mountain biking, um, things that I've done various places around the world. And that story introduces a specific, tangible, and relevant mindset principle. Um, as you said, something like be a wannabe or find your carrot. Uh, and then I, I get into the, the principle itself, some of the um, backing kind of from the world of psychology for it. And then the chapter finishes with uh, some reflective activities um, that, that kind of help people get into how can you apply this to your own life. And, and hopefully, um, you know, I spent many years as a, as a high school classroom teacher, and my hope is that, that I've been an effective teacher with uh, really allowing people to pull these principles out and, and apply them to, um, to their own lives. Um, so that's kind of how it's set up. But back to um, find your care, you know, intrinsic and extrinsic motivators. Um, I think sometimes uh, extrinsic motivators a bad rap, you know, an, an extrinsic motivator is something external that makes you want to do something. So if you're intrinsically motivated to do something, uh, it's because you enjoy it in the moment. Um, and there, we can all think of many things that we simply enjoy doing. And, and in, you know, let's say running or something, a lot of the time I enjoy running, you know, day in and day out. I, I really like it. And, and that's a huge piece of it. And I think intrinsic motivation is is crucial um, in all cases, but it's my, my strong belief that if you want to do something 
really big and really push your limits, whether it's in endurance racing or in your professional career or in your relationships or whatever you're doing in life, if you really want to go big, then I think you, you should have the intrinsic motivation, but also some external components. In other words, some pieces that are, that are going to keep you going at the moments where that intrinsic motivation wanes, uh, because there are going to be those times. If you're doing something challenging and big and important, it, there's probably going to be moments where it's not fun, you know, where you're, where you're grinding away and trying to make it through and trying to take uh, these next steps. I, I know for me, when I was writing this book, there, there were many moments uh, like that. And so I think, um, you know, the extrinsic motivators, they can, they can have a couple of purposes. Uh, one of them is, you know, just kind of giving you this, as I say in the book, a, a carrot, something to be, to be reaching for. Um, and extrinsic motivators also can accomplish uh, what we call in, in the education realm uh, like a utilitarian purpose. And what I mean by that is, you know, let's say we've got a, a student who's uh, studying for the SAT test. Um, you know, that's that's not fun. There's nothing fun about the studying and, and taking the test itself, you know, for four hours on a Saturday when, when there's many things that you would much rather be doing. But that SAT test has a utilitarian purpose in that if you do well on it based on hard work and preparation, um, then you'll be able to get into a a school that you like that that is intrinsically motivating. Um, So there's kind of a a play on between these things of having an extrinsic motivator often can take you to the next step where you're doing things that you like even more. Right. What I took away from this, just to make sure that I understand what you were saying, let me just play it out and you tell me whether I'm on it or not. An intrinsic motivation would be like you suggested, I enjoy running, so I go out and I'm running, and then all of a sudden it gets really windy and then it starts to rain, and then you know I'm thinking, you know, screw this, I'm going home, I'm not having fun anymore. Right, mm-hmm. so my intrinsic value in that motivation is just falling apart because things changed. Where exactly. yep. the, the extrinsic motivation would be, I need to accomplish this workout today because it's going to put me in a better place to achieve these goals later on, which is enjoyable to me. Right? Yeah, yeah, is absolutely. That kind of what we're talking could, about? Yeah, yeah, that is what we're talking about. And, and you know, as far as like a concrete example that, that we face day in and day out let's take you know one of these spartan races or something you got a number of people out there have have signed up and trained for for these things as you know maybe it's their first uh, their first competition of any kind you know they, they want to get fit they want to have a challenge they want to go out and do something cool and for someone in a situation like that you know you're halfway through the spartan race and you gotta you know let's say, climb up and down this cargo net, you know, that's really scary and, and you don't want to do it, you know it's going to be challenging. But at that moment, you could think about an extrinsic motivator, like, when I finish this race, I'm going to post on Facebook that I, that I made it through, you know? And 100 of, 100 of my friends are going to see that and, and think it's pretty cool or click the like button. Um, you know, that's that's an extrinsic motivator. And if, if you ask me, it's it's totally fine to think about those things, especially... As you said, when the intrinsic motivation, you know, kind of the the built-in self-control, if you will, when that's gone down, use the extrinsic. Use whatever you can to make it through. 
Well, I run into this a lot with kids, and because I I train kids. Yep. The uh, on the interview day, when the parents bring the kid in, and you know we're going to talk about what the kid's goals are and what the what the problems are that need to be resolved so they get to this place they want to be and. And the kids are all lit up, you know. They're, they're just, oh, yep, yeah, yep. this is great, this is great, this is great. Yeah, Mommy, Daddy, let's, you know, pay the man the money, let's do this. And then, you know, about four workouts deep, when it starts turning into a job, <laughs> you know, yep. yeah, they get this look on their face like they're looking at the clock and they're thinking, oh, man, can I just get through these last 15 minutes and get out of here? So, you know, I, I could see where... This is kind of a necessary evil. In order to to arrive at this hallowed ground, they got to put in the time, right? And and so that again is is I think kind of what you're talking about. So you're saying that everybody needs to kind of find their care. They got to find the thing that is really the driving force behind the the rationale for even doing what they're doing, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, the, the, I guess my you know my base recommendation is. You know, choose your endeavors, whatever you're going to do in life, try to choose those based on intrinsic motivations, you know, things that that you enjoy doing, that make you feel fulfilled, you know, that help you be the person you want to be in the world. Uh, But once you've chosen those, you know, then don't be afraid to use extrinsic motivators at times to to keep you going. The other one that I I liked, and I've got a couple that I liked, uh, and and you know I, I actually liked them all, but I, I you know again I don't, oh, I want to tease it, okay? I want to I want to keep them happy and wondering and wondering. Yeah, yeah. They got to they got to get yeah. off this thing and just buy your book right to, right today. <laughs> yeah. So right. uh, uh, so what we're looking at is uh, number five, which is think about your thinking, and this is kind of you know I had a it almost forced me to read the entire chapter before I called you just so I could under, understand it, but yeah. I'm going to let you tell it best. Yeah, well, um, I'll, I'll introduce that one with a little story, and this this story actually isn't in the book, um, so so the uh, listeners here kind of get a a special look at it. But he, here's an example of of thinking about your thinking. So um, in uh, 2013, you know, I did the I did the Lead Man series as as we talked about. Um, 2014, um, I, I wasn't doing the Leadville 100 run a, as a racer. Uh, but I was there as a pacer and support crew, uh, which which I really enjoyed. You know, on any of these big long races that you do, and this is similar, I think, to you know writing a book or or achieving whatever goals it is. Any of these things you do, you usually need help from other people, and I've had so much help from other people over the years who have have support supported for me. You know, and week-long adventure races where the crew is getting less sleep than even the athletes or, you know, people are taking time off work and, you know, driving around on muddy, muddy roads in Brazil, you know, trying to find the checkpoints, all, all these kind of things. I've had a lot of help from people. So um, last year in, in the Leadville 100, I, I was able to be a support crew and a pacer, uh, w- which I really enjoyed. I, you know, I was, I was happy to give back. So anyway, what happened, I was pacing, um, a woman named Emma Roca, who's a, a good friend of mine from um, Spain. She's also a, uh, a Hoka-sponsored runner um, like I am, and she had come over to, to do the Leadville 100, and, and she was trying to win it, you know, So, which means that the, the Pacers and support crew had a, an important role. Uh, so I started running with Emma at about mile 75 of, of her race, so the final 25 miles, 
um, you know, of, of her race. And these, these were crucial. She, she was in second place uh, when I started with her. She's 20 minutes back. Uh, you know, we knew that she might be able to gain that 20 minutes, especially if the if the person in the lead had a problem. Um, you know, you can you can gain and lose 20 minutes pretty quick. And, uh, you know, I picked up Emma, and I knew that my key role was to uh, was to help her, was to pay attention to her eating, her drinking, you know, make sure she was thinking clearly, make sure she was awake. You know, by, by the end of it, she'd been running for almost 20 hours. So, you know, I was kind of her, her eyes and ears, all, all those sorts of things. And, uh, you know, things went well for, for a few hours of it. You know, Emma was really staying on top of her hydration, her fueling, um, you know, those kind of things. And uh, lo and behold, with, with less than 10 miles to go in the race, uh, we passed the, the woman who had been leading the race really from the start. And now Emma's in the lead. You know, she's, she's, she's just got to go these, you know, final whatever it is, 10 miles to the finish line, stay consistent, and she's going to win the race. You know, she's going to win the Leadville 100, which is a, a huge race and a, and a big one for her to win. And, and, and it'd be a really big thing for her. And, uh, you know, so I'm kind of running along behind Emma, and all of a sudden I realize I'm, I'm starting to get pretty sick here. I'm, I'm, I'm getting a little bit bloated. I'm feeling nauseous. And I kind of think back, you know, the last, whatever it is, five or six hours of, of my run. And I realized I had, um, I had not been paying attention to my own nutrition. I had been paying so much attention to Emma and making sure that she ate and drank the right things at the right times that I'd pretty much neglected my, my own fueling. And now I'm paying the price, you know, now I'm, now I'm getting sick. So, a couple minutes later, I, I start puking. You know, I'm, I'm throwing up here, in the, you know, in the dark, in the, in the middle of the trail, out, out in Mudville, and Emma's going strong. You know, she's she's pulling away from me as I'm on my knees here on the side of the trail, throwing up. And you know, I I got up, caught up to her again, uh, threw up again. You know, I I keep doing this a few times in a row, getting dropped, and um, I started getting really worried. You know, I'm thinking. Oh my gosh, Emma's going to lose the race because I'm because I don't have her fuel for it. I'm I'm not able to you know help her find the course or, or whatever. I was really getting nervous about it, and at that point in my mind, I, I was thinking about what I was doing and what I was doing. And this is natural. Usually, when when things get really challenging and hard. The, the natural tendency is to think about what you're doing, really, because it's so terrible and undesirable. You know, I was thinking about how terrible I feel, how bad my legs feel, how much I'm throwing up, how bad it's going to be if Emma loses the race because I can't keep up with her. You know, all these things. That, that was all what I was doing. And I realized what I needed to do was shift my thinking to why I was doing it. So, in other words, instead of focusing on what I was doing, I really need to think about why I was doing it. And the why I was doing it was because here's a good friend of mine who's come from all the way on the other side of the world and, and wants to win a big race. And when I shifted my thinking to why I was doing it, it provided that extra little bit of motivation to, you know, basically keep running and, and catch up to her every time I started throwing up and, and get her to the finish line. And, um, and she won and, and, uh, and it works. So, um, that's, you know, that's kind of one example of, of, of that thinking. So the, the moral is if, if things get really challenging and drawn out, you want to be thinking about why you're doing it because that why gives you the extra inspiration 
Probably there's other times, like earlier in the run, when I should have been thinking more about what I was doing. When, when things are detail-oriented and you need to pay attention, and, and this is often like, let's say, the start of a race. Everyone's all fired up. It's easy to run really fast. That's a good time to think about what you're doing. Think about, are you eating enough? Are you going the right pace? Are you going a, a good pace that you can sustain instead of one that's going to totally blow you up? Those are all good things to consider what you're doing at a detail-oriented uh, point in time. Okay, so that, that that's interesting. And I guess I didn't get that part of it, but I, now I do. I, I see that, you know, there's a time and a place for your thoughts. Exactly. Yeah, so, you know, kind of analyzing all the critical details is big up front. But when things start to get a little, you know, troubled or, or a lot troubled, rather than focusing on what's happening to you, you want to focus on why you're there to begin with. And that shifting your focus away from what's breaking you down gives you an opportunity to get an edge. Exactly. Yeah, that's 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 what it is in a nutshell. And and, and I think that you know one of the key points is is in order to do those two things at the correct times, sometimes you'll be going against what would happen naturally, and that's why it's worth considering it intentionally and and really thinking ahead about your thinking and when you're going to consider what you're doing when you're going to consider why you're doing it. So, okay, let's talk about number six. And this is actually uh, one of my favorites. I, I think actually it probably is my favorite. And well, you, thanks. you suggested that when you have no choice, anything is possible. We talked about this before, you and I, before the book was even written and it was kind of in the works. And uh, yeah. I was drawn to it. I think I was listening to your TEDx. You made the comment, you know, I guess it's a pretty interesting way of looking at things is that, if you eliminate the possibilities of not doing something or what will occur if you stop doing something, then by minimizing or eliminating those possibilities, then there's nothing left to do but to accomplish the task. Is that about right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, really what this comes down to is, you know, the idea of, of what does it mean to commit to something and, and to make a true commitment uh, a, a full commitment, you know. I mean, we we all commit to many things each each day in in all the you know various elements of our life. And, you know, some of these are our full commitments, or oh, you know, I think I'll do that or or whatever. Um, you know, my thought if if you really you know again this a lot of this book is about if if you want to do something big, you know, you you really want to go to your highest potential in X. Um, I think in order to do that, usually it takes a, a wholehearted commitment. And for me, commitment means making the choice to give up choice. So, you know, when you commit to, to marry someone, you're giving up the choice of being with other people. You know, that's kind of a real simple um, example, but we can apply that to many other things. I think if you're, if you're starting, if you're standing on the starting line of, you know, a mile race, or, or your first 5K race, or your you know your first Spartan race, or um, whatever it is. If you really make a commitment to yourself that quitting this simply isn't an option, it, it makes it a lot easier because you don't you don't have to worry about am I going to drop out? You know, am I going to make it? Can I make it? Um, by by simply making a real commitment to yourself, um, you can make it. So that's, you know, that's kind of the core of the principle. Um, in, in the book, I call it the 4.30 a.m. rule. And the reason it's called the 4.30 a.m. rule is um, 
I think it's possible to build up inner resilience so that it's easier to follow through on your commitments. And one way that I've done that is by um, taking small opportunities to basically train mentally to do things that are hard in the moment that I've committed to ahead of time. So um, I think this will probably resonate with many athletes out there. You know, sometimes you have to get up early in the morning to train. Maybe it's based on your work schedule or your family schedule. Or, you know, that's just the, that's the only time you can do it. So the night before, when you set your alarm for 4.30 a.m., at that time you're making the commitment to get up at 4.30. The next morning when the alarm goes off, you're not going to feel like getting up, or I know, at least I don't. You know, I would much rather just unplug the thing and, and keep sleeping, but I've already committed to it the night before, so I, I don't have the choice. You know, it's it's not an option to keep sleeping, and that makes it a lot easier to, to get up and, and just do it. And, the, you know, the, the 4.30 a.m. rule, it could be literal with getting up at 4.30 a.m., or it can be figurative, you know, maybe there's time simply where you committed to, to doing whatever that you don't feel like doing at the moment, but it's important to do. Um, you know, I, I have two little kids who are two and four years old, and I'm very lucky to have a, a schedule and, and, you know, professional life where I can spend a lot of full days taking care of my kids, um, which is great. It's also challenging. You know, anyone who, who takes care of little kids knows that, that, that the days can be challenging and, and long and can really wear you down, um, but for me, when, when things get really tough or, you know, I have to get up in the middle of the night to, you know, change a diaper or, you know, there's stuff spilled all over the kitchen or whatever the case might be, if I think about, okay, I, I committed to this ahead of time, I don't have a choice, I'm just going to do it, it becomes a little bit easier to do. Yeah, I know that for the forever, I, I've been training clients in the early mornings, and mm-hmm. it used to be there was a group that I trained where uh, we met... You know, we met at five o'clock every morning and we did that like into the winter months. And, you know, I mean, you know, my environment's completely different than yours. You know, you're, you're up at altitude, you, you know, your weather can get really, really interesting uh, at at times, I'm sure. You know, for me, I'm living in Southern California. So a bad day here is it's uh, like 30 degrees and, you know, and maybe some rain, you know, something like that or a little wind, but. Still, you know, you get accustomed to, to the environment you live in. And, and uh, I, can, yeah, yeah. I can recall days where I, you know, I'd wake up to the sound of heavy rain. And, yep. you know, my first thought was, oh, man, it's raining, right? You know, it's going to be ugly because we're going to be outside. And, yep. and my thought is, are they going to show up? You know, because, you know, sometimes people, they, you know, they're, they're wondering if you're going to show up, you know. And, and, yep. I, and, my, yep. and I tell people... If you ever wake up and wonder whether I'm going to be there, just go ahead and dispatch that thought because I will be there. I will be there. Yep. And I, I've, yeah. made, I've made a, a conscious decision to show up regardless of circumstance. And that's just like you suggested. There's just no option. I'm going to be there. That, obviously enough, is, is uh, motivation for others because – it removes their option, you know, because they think, well, if he doesn't show up, then I don't have to show up. They know I'm showing up. So I yep. absolutely love that. You know, you eliminate that uh-huh. possibility of of uh, not having to attend or not gaining up for whatever the task might be, and then things change. So that's a good one. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think, you know, a final takeaway on that one is, 
you know, the real benefit of, of thinking about something like this or, or this, you know, 4.30 a.m. rule mindset, the real benefit of that is that it helps you build resilience for the times in life when suffering is mandatory. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, things like you said, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to get up and do your training at 5 a.m. Or, or, you know, or to, to go to finish the 100 hour race, you know, when you're totally smashed and you still have to keep going. That's very hard to do, but when it comes down to it, these are things that we do by choice. On the other hand, there are things suffering in life that's not by choice. You know, you get really sick. A loved one gets really sick. You know, you, the kids are having challenges. These, these kind of things, you know, that's, that's the real life. And my view is that by thinking specifically and really training on how to have this resilience, it's going to carry over to those those important things in life. Um, you know, what the... One of the stories I talk a lot about in the, in the book is uh, my mom, who has had a number of, of health challenges. You know, when I was a little kid, she had a, a liver transplant, and a few years later, she had a, a kidney transplant. And watching her go through these challenges and the various complications, uh, you know, from those um, from those medical issues, just like so many millions of people out there, um, you know, that, that's one of the things that's really shaped me. You know, how, how do you stay tough and positive in those mandatory times? And, and I think that uh, I'd like to think that, that by working on these principles in the book, you can build some some hopefully to the to the mandatory suffering that, that dishes out, you know, and, and will it, it will keep doing. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. And so the final one, I almost gave up the entire book here, but, uh, you know, it's Here's while you're talking and you're explaining uh, your positions and and your life story, in the back of my mind, this is what I'm thinking. We talk a lot about the things that we need to do to prepare for events, and those things are obvious concerns. We concern with uh, how much endurance we have, how we're feeding ourselves, how many miles we're going to put in, the intensity of the work we're going to put in, all of these things. But at the end of the day, if your mind isn't right, if you don't have the mindset for the work, you're you're sure to fail. And this yeah. is not only related to sport performance, but you know, as you suggested, very much has to do with the way we are we live our lives and the obesity epidemic in this world. And I, you know, I've been in the fitness industry for 30 years, and every January rolls around and people have these resolutions, right? I'm going to lose yeah, the weight yeah. this year, and you know I, I'm going to start on January 1st. I'm going to quit drinking. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that, and then three weeks deep, they're they're right back where they started. They fall off the ship, so they yep. just really never made a commitment to you know, the, the the mindset that's necessary to put them in the place they need to be in, so that they can conduct themselves and be successful. So I think that this is an important read. I think it's an important thing for people to have in their quiver when they're thinking in terms of trying to achieve anything, you know, to get their mind in the right place. And I think you've done a really nice job of explaining some pretty simple approaches to lining out the, the proper mindsets. You know, I definitely had a lot of good um, feedback on, on the book so far, and it, it, it's, uh, it, it doesn't actually get first till April 14th, but it's, you, you can get it online um, now. And I'm, um, I'm just, I'm excited to get it out there. I mean, you know, the, the uh, you know I've I, I'll always view myself as a, as a teacher at heart, and 
that's the reason I wrote this book. You know, it, it exists to, to help people. And, um, you know, anyone who, who listens to this, you know, if you read the book and you find it to be relevant or you have feedback or you have questions or you want to follow up, um, get in touch with me because I, I really do love just uh, hearing what worked or what didn't work, what could be better. Um, I'd, I'd love, to, love to hear from people about that. Let's talk about the last the last item here, which I had I kind of saved yeah, yeah. obviously for last, and it's last. So, yeah. but it's never quit, except when you should quit. And I mm-hmm. I, I like how you li- line that out because there are times when what you are assuming you're failing is probably appropriate to fail. You know, <laughs> sometimes you just got to let go of it, right? And and, yep, yep. and I guess the, the the strength in it is to to know the difference when you should quit versus when you shouldn't. So let's talk yep. about that for a second. Yeah, this is, uh, you're right, you know, it's, it's an interesting uh, title that we said a lot, Never Quit Except When You Should Quit. And, you know, for me, kind of what this comes down to is really two things. I, I think that many times in life, um, people continue dragging forward in some direction, you know, maybe it's a Maybe it's a profession. Maybe it's, you know, where you live. Maybe it's how you view yourself, who you spend your time with. Um, you know, it could be anything, but, but people continue dragging forward with something because they're afraid of what will happen if they quit or if they stop or if they consider what the world could be like if, if they didn't do it. And um, I, I don't want to give away the story too much, but I... Um, you know, as I was writing this book or as I was thinking about writing this book, I was at a point like that in my life. You know, I was kind of in a, in a professional direction that, uh, that I, that seemed like the obvious choice, you know, seemed like the stable choice, seemed like the choice that would generate the most guaranteed income. But I sort of I realized that the reason I was following that path was was based on fear. I, I was afraid of doing something else that I really wanted to to do. And um, you know, again, people can read about it in in the book. But as it turned out, it was uh, I had to quit something. You know, it was it was a really good opportunity to uh, you know quit something to to take on a path that was much less sure, a, a lot scarier, much more. Um, full of fear, and in hindsight, it, it turned out to be a, a great choice. It was a it was a choice when when I, when I should have quit. Um, on, on the other hand, you know, kind of the, the never quit. Um, it, it's really my belief that if you're doing something that aligns with who you want to be, aligns with how you want to exist in the world, how you want to see yourself, and this could this could be running a hundred miles. This could be uh, keeping your cool as a parent when uh, when your kids are breaking down, and it would be a lot easier to just blow up. Uh, this could be, you know, starting your own business and learning all of the things that you need to do. With, you know, not only the business itself, but but the accounting and you know managing your time and getting insurance and you know all all of these things. And I, I know from experience that doing all that can can be challenging and and, and really scary and and tough, but. Um, if you're if you're doing something that aligns with who you want to be, then then you don't quit. You know, fear is going to be there. Fear is, uh, I think, fear is an interesting thing because it, it it never goes away. You know, even if you're doing what you want to do and what you should be doing and and what you're experienced at, it's 
it's still there, you know, and it, it, but it also, it lets us know that we're alive. You know, these long endurance races, I've been doing them for most of my life, but there's, there's still, there's always fear and anxiety. And, you know, that, that one lets me know that I'm alive. It lets, lets me know that I'm doing something important. And, and even if my fear is there, then, uh, then quitting just because of that is, uh, you know, really doesn't work. No, and you know, I'll tell you something. It very much resonates with me because I am doing exactly what I want to do. And I'm convinced that there is nothing else that I can do in this world that I would do better than I do in this occupation I've chosen. So yeah, the, yeah. the work I do day to day is more important to me than the money I earn for having done it. Obviously enough, I would much prefer that I made more money doing what I do. But if I was to arrive at a position in my life where I earned enough that I never had to concern myself with finance again, I would continue to do what I do, and I would do it for free. Yeah. Because I'm doing what I want to do. You know, the, the fear of loss, the fear of not being able to arrive at this destination is not is in not as powerful as the fear of having to do something that I wouldn't enjoy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's a great point. And I think, um, you know, your example, you've, what you're doing professionally, you know, resonates with who you are personally, with how you can best improve other people's lives. Um, and it's also, it's a unique thing. You know, you've, you've designed the, uh, the life and career that, that you want to have. And, um, you know, I think part of it is, is this book, considering these, these principles and the direction my life has gone, but I've, you know, I've kind of been in sort of this entrepreneurial, um, mindset that, that would very much agree with that. You know, I think, uh, I, I see a lot of people kind of toiling away in, in some direction, you know, where they, they have, you know, they, they have a stable job, they're making plenty of money, you know, they have, you know, the, the big house, every, everything seems pretty clear, but, they're not doing something where the where the fire where the fire exists. You know, they're not doing something that's that's passionate uh, day in and day out. And um, I think in many cases that that can be about fear. You know, it's it's really scary to to sort of jump off the you know jump off the 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 rat wheel and and go out and, and do something on your own. Oh yeah, I live it every day. You know, it's like. There's no guaranteed paycheck in my life. You know, every every mm-hmm. moment that I get up, I have to create some kind of scenario to to earn my keep. And and you know, so far so good. I mean, I, I I've gotten pretty good at what I do, and and people appreciate what I do. So I, I they always seem to keep me afloat. But I, I always joke about how you know there, nobody's going to let me get rich off this. But um, and anyway, it's mm-hmm. like I've chose my path, and you know, at this point in my life, there's no way in this world that I'd I'd want to turn into another thing. So, you know, I, I'm yeah, not yeah. I'm not going to quit. I refuse to quit. And um, and if I if I was forced to, yeah, maybe I could do something else. But no, I don't think so. But anyway, yeah, yeah. Travis, um, this is this is a good read. It's it's and I think it's I think it's important. I said it once already. I'm saying it again. I think it's important for people to kind to. You know, take a breath and sit back and just kind of wrap their head around the, the minutia of the business of how they're approaching the things that they do rather than just approaching the things that they do. And and I think yeah. that you've done a great job in, in lining that out. And, and, and I mean, I don't want to discount the, the, the stories associated with your pearls of wisdom. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff in here. And you've had an amazing career so far as an athlete. 
Uh, and clearly this is, uh, your perseverance is what's put you in a place to write a book like this. So good stuff all the way around. So Travis, let's, let's talk to the people about how to find you and, and such. Well, there, there's, uh, I'll mention a few things. You know, the, the first, the easiest or most simplest, just uh, travismacy.com. Uh, that's M-A-C-Y. And at that site, there's a lot about the book, a, a link to um, how to buy it. As I said, it should be in, uh, uh, you know, the, the bigger bookstores and independent bookstores um, on April 14th. Uh, there's also, we're going to be doing a, um, it's called the Ultra Mindset Ultra Giveaway, uh, starting on April 14th, where, where we've got a, a bunch of really good prizes uh, from some of my racing sponsors like the Targa, Hoka, o- Ultimate Direction, and Genji, um, a few others. They've, they've pitched in a bunch of stuff that, uh, that we can give away to kind of uh, support the book. So um, if you go to my website, uh, starting on April 14th, um, that, that information will be there. Um, and I'm also going to be, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking, you know, kind of like you said, um, writing this book, it has been, it's been a huge challenge. You know, many times the only thing that, that has gotten me to the next step is, is really following the, you know, the exact thing that I'm writing about, um, in the book, you know, just all the highs and lows and, you know, starting the process. I had no agent. I had no publisher. I'd never written a book. There was a lot to, um, learn through the process and, and continues to be. And kind of the next phase of it is um, doing uh, doing a number of um, appearances for it. So on um, May 1st, if anyone happens to be in the Denver area, I'll be at the uh, Tattered Cover Bookstore on um, Colfax Avenue at 7 p.m. And uh, a group of us is, is going to run uh, from my house in Evergreen. It's a, a small town about 30 miles outside of Denver. We're going to run, run to the bookstore to kind of celebrate the event. So... Uh, if anyone wants to join us for about 50 kilometers of, of running that day to, to get to the bookstore, um, it's uh, it's an open invite to whoever. Um, a couple weeks after that, I'll, I'll be in uh, Vermont for uh, a neat uh, ultra run. Um, the information is at peak.com. Um, it's a cool 50-mile race. And then um, after that, just uh, various uh, various other places. All that, all that stuff will be on my website. Well, I wish you the best of luck with the book. And I'm sure it's going to do very, very well. And uh, let me know if there's anything I could do to help you. Once again, it's just been a pleasure having you on the show. Well, thanks. It's great to, great to be with you. And, and uh, you know, like I said, just uh, keep, keep it rolling. It was awesome to connect with you in person at that uh, Spartan Cruise. And, uh, you know, I think we can agree that was a real neat and, and energetic uh, place. And it was cool to see you in action doing the VO2 max tests and the, you know, exercise competitions and the, you know, all that stuff. So I like what you're doing and um, keep it rolling. All right, brother. Well, friends, it's time to bring another show to a close. Be sure and tune in to us next week. We've got a lot of great content in store for you. I want you to tell your friends to check us out. You can always find us on Facebook. Simply go search the Natural Running Network. Drop us a message. I'd love to learn more about you and the things you do. And until then, you have an amazing day.